Chapter Five of Things Seen in Venice by Lonsdale and Laura Rag. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lagoon. Venice has been styled the gem of the Adriatic. The Lagoon is the beautiful setting to this jewel. Without the Lagoon, indeed, Venice could not exist at all. Its ruin would begin speedily on the first stormy day for the lagoon with its long fringe of lido islands and its five porti or openings which admit a regular ebb and flow of tide protects the city at once from the boisterous adriatic and from the internal perils of stagnation and malaria in earlier days defence was needed also from the assaults of human foes and this is amply provided by the treacherous sandbanks which guard the openings on the seaward side and the intricate system of mudbanks which the inrush and outflowing of the tide has formed within. Someone has said of nature that while she works like a machine, she sleeps all the while like a picture. This is pre-eminently true of the Venetian lagoon. All day long she is hard at work, cleansing by means of her tidal movements the waterways of the thickly populated city, chasing away unimaginable perils of deadly disease by her unfailing sanitary activity morning noon and night she looks so serenely fair that the enchanted gazer might be tempted to believe that her one purpose in life was to look beautiful no one who desires to understand the inner character and working of this vast sheet of water the product of the interaction of the sea the lido islands and the rivers should fail to read the first chapter of mr horatio brown's life on the lagoons there he will find expressed in charming language by one who has made the lagoon his home the inner truth of the matter the expanse of protected water estimated says mr horatio brown to cover a surface of no less than one hundred and sixty geographical miles contains numberless points of interest there are not a few islands specially worth visiting for their picturesqueness or for their historical associations to the north and east of venice proper there spreads out a long train of islands of which the first is san michele the cemetery and the last torcello with its very ancient basilica once the mother church of venice between these lie morano and burano the former is the seat of the famous glass-making industry for which venice was celebrated in the middle ages and is celebrated again to-day famous too for its glorious church of santi maria and donato and for the fine bellini picture which adorns the other church of saint peter martyr the latter is a miniature venice in which the march of civilization has not produced such deplorable results as those which mark the more beaten tracks of the tourist here you shall find besides and in spite of the lace-making industry a people i will not say absolutely unsophisticated and unspoiled but at any rate more ready to wear characteristic costumes and less aggressive in the art of touting of torcello everyone should read ruskin's glowing account in the stones of venice everyone who is not hindered by physical infirmity should ascend the old lombardic campanile and drink in the incomparable view it offers of the far-stretching lagoon and distant venice far as the eye can reach a waste of wild sea-moor of a lurid ashen grey not like our northern moors with their jet-black pools and purple heath but lifeless the colour of sackcloth 
no gathering of fantastic mists nor coursing of clouds across it but melancholy clearness of space in the warm sunset oppressive reaching to the horizon of its level gloom to the very horizon on the north-east but to the north and west there is a blue line of higher land along the border of it and above this but farther back a misty band of mountains touched with snow to the east the paleness and roar of the adriatic to the south the widening branches of the calm lagoon alternately purple and pale green beyond the widening branches of the lagoon and rising out of the bright lake into which they gather there are a multitude of towers dark and scattered among square-set shapes of clustered palaces a long irregular line fretting the southern sky mother and daughter you behold them both in their widowhood torcello and venice torcello one sees at one's feet a group of four buildings two of them a little larger than cottages the interior of the larger church is strangely impressive both in its antique arrangements and in its solemn mosaics while the small chapel of santa fosca nearby is in its way a perfect architectural gem eastward of this line of islands northeast of morano and almost due south of torcello not far from the litorale di sant'erasmo which forms the breakwater of the lagoon on the north of the port of lido lies the extremely picturesque island of san francesco del deserto where a still existing franciscan monastery marks the traditional spot where the great founder of the order spent some time in solitary and penitential meditation wonderful is the prospect of this northern lagoon from the fondamente nuove best of all perhaps near the sacco della misericordia with its piles of logs backed by the lonely and mysterious casa degli spiriti whose anglo-saxon owner has meritoriously restored to its pristine beauty the neighbouring contarini garden to the west on the side where the long railway viaduct spans the lagoon a number of small islets lie dotted about apparently floating upon the surface of the water pleasant spots these for a fine day's picnic prominent among the islands of the eastern lagoon is san giorgio in alga st george of the seaweed and though its present-day use as a powder magazine renders the shore of this historic isle a forbidden land its picturesqueness and the lingering charm of its former human interest still invite the lover of beauty to moor his gondola close under its shadow of its ancient glory however there remains little but a fine old wall from which the figure of the madonna of the parasol quaint and graceful if of small artistic value watches the passing of the new-fangled vaporini and the old-fashioned fishing-boats at the beginning of the fifteenth century this island belonged to a congregation of canons one of whom was a famous venetian bishop stelt lorenzo giustiniani the conventual buildings with their garniture of fine pictures and their famous library were all destroyed by fire in the early years of the eighteenth century when the property had passed into the hands of the carmelites the railway viaduct itself so prominent a feature of this western lagoon acquires a certain dignity from its sheer length two miles and a half of uniform arcading broken only here and there where a tiny island has been pressed into the service of the engineer's art nor should its utilitarian and commonplace associations 
obscure for us its memories of heroism and pathos this bridge was the scene of many a doughty deed in the days of the great siege of eighteen forty nine when for five months the city under her last doge daniele manin stood out single-handed against the power of austria only to capitulate when in the burning heat of august the horrors of cholera had been added to those of famine and bombardment the bridge itself bears testimony to its glorious past in the monument erected to agostino stefani whose story is surely one of the most pathetic on record during the siege the venetians laid a mine to blow up the railway bridge some distance from the city for some reason or other the mine did not explode agostino then came forward and volunteered to row off in his sandolo and set the matter right general cosens accepted the noble offer and the young man set forth in face of a double fire from malghera and from san giuliano he reached the place unscathed and accomplished his work but had scarcely turned his prow homewards when an austrian cannon shot sunk his little boat under him to swim ashore was no light task for the current was against him but the sense of achievement and the inspiration of an anticipated hero's welcome gave him courage and just as his strength was exhausted a passing venetian patrol boat picked him up alas his rescuers mistook the speechless man for an austrian spy and an excited crowd on the bank began to shower stones upon the boat which was thought to contain such an object of execration the people on the boat then actually threw the poor fellow back into the water and he was overwhelmed with blows of oars and stones ere general cosens could come up to identify and rescue him on this western side of venice the manifold connection with the mainland is effected not only by railway the all-important water supply l'acquedotto finds its way along the bed of the western lagoon and in this direction lie the two steamer routes to the mainland which still competes with the ferrovia one can go from the riva or from the zatere by steamer past san giorgio in alga to fusina or from near the rialto up the grand canal and the canareggio to mestre along the northern side of the railway bridge on a fine day the trip to mestre whether taken by steamer or more leisurely and luxuriously in gondola affords splendid views of the mountains of the cadore whose snow-capped peaks form a lovely background to the vast expanse of water a trip to fusina is also well worth while the more as this little port on the mouth of the brenta gives access to a light railway which follows that river's windings past a quaint series of villas and villages as far as padua from which point if time presses the return journey may be made by express train to venice to the south of venice the lagoon stretches out for many a mile till the extreme point is reached at brandolo just beyond chioggia to the east extends the long reef of defence against the adriatic the lido the littorale of malamocco and that of chioggia a rampart broken in two places at the port of malamocco and at that of chioggia along the western side of this portion of the lagoon stretches the low-lying coast fringed by the laguna morta or dead lagoon with its salt marshes and semi-stagnant pools islands are dotted here and there in this expanse of protected water between the lido rampart and the salt marshes of the laguna morta 
streaming off from the central group which constitutes venice proper in ever-diminishing density as though they had been flung athwart the lagoon by a giant hand san servolo and la grazia comparatively near to the giudecca island and to san giorgio maggiore san clemente the manicomio or madhouse and san lazaro with the convent of the genial and hospitable armenian uniat fathers a little further off and then in a far-scattered line santa spirito poveglia and san pietro in volta in old days practically all the islands of the lagoon were inhabited each being the property of a separate conventual body we may picture the great waste of waters dotted with little centres of culture praise and intercession the majority of them have now lost the main part of their buildings the well-kept garden has disappeared and the church adorned with its treasures and sometimes valuable pictures the islands themselves remain and seen from a distance or from near by with the picturesque outlines of the buildings which adorn most of them they are of immense value in the landscape furnishing a foreground or a middle distance giving interest to what would otherwise be with all its beauty an unrelieved expanse of watery flatness and aiding the eye in its instinctive search for a guide to perspective in the bewildering vastness of the lagoon some of them are still well worth a visit for their intrinsic interest each of them adds something to the indescribable charm of the prospect westward across the shining waters towards the distant eugenian hills but for most visitors the long rampart of the lido islands is more conspicuously attractive than its attendant islets the name lido it is simply the latin litus coast is more especially applied to the part of this rampart that lies nearest to venice once it was a picturesque bare strand of hillocks heaped from ever-shifting sand matted with thistles and amphibious weeds an uninhabited seaside where it was exhilarating to ride and walk now quantum mutatus abilo it is a fashionable commonplace bathing resort crammed in the summer with bathers herded in monster hotels or lodged in frightful little mushroom villas these monstrous growths have something of the sinister gaiety of the fungus race the villas are apt to be decorated and sometimes alas to be constructed in the style of the new art while the bathers who inhabit them are dressed according to the dernier cri of rome and paris the shore too thickly studded with amorphous bathing huts is extremely ugly till the shades of evening have converted them all into flat grey shadows seen against a sky still bright with the afterglow of sunset nothing however can destroy the view landwards from the lido a view happily to be enjoyed from many points but perhaps best of all by a strange irony from the terrace of that colossus of a new hotel in which the spirit of art nouveau is personified in early summer mornings or on fine still evenings this view over venice is of magical and unearthly loveliness san nicolo del lido stands at the north end of this island in a truly delightful spot where the greenest grass within miles of venice supplies the city's one great defect where wide green meadows are bounded by a hedge where the blackthorn blossoms and watered by lazy flowing watercourses that counterfeit an english stream 
while the path that leads from the meadows is flanked by poplar trees and is deep and cool as an english lane the church is dedicated to saint nicholas of bari of whom the mariners of old venice always craved a blessing when they put to sea and when they returned home laden or not as the case might be with the spoils of the east it is still worth a visit if only for its historical associations but to the english pilgrim the military fortress has a peculiar attraction if he succeeds in obtaining leave to penetrate within its lines for here are the tombstones of a little group of englishmen not very illustrious nor very obscure in themselves but evoking a feeling of real pathos by reason of the lonely and inaccessible nature of their resting-place from which a determined effort was made a few years ago to obtain leave to remove the remains and have them interred in consecrated ground but the combined efforts of english and german promoters of this movement for there are german tombs also at san nicolo failed to penetrate the cordon of red tape though permission for a special visit was acceded on terms known only to the english chaplain and the english consul these foreign residents of a former century among whom are sir francis vincent a scion of the house of sackville and a certain consul smith to whom windsor castle owes not a few of its art treasures were interred in unconsecrated ground before a section of the present cemetery was set apart for the burial of the acatolici as the local authorities compactly describe all believers in any or no creed who reject the jurisdiction of the roman pontiff southwards from san nicolo the long narrow island stretches past the fashionable bathing area and the monster hotels into a region of solitude little altered from that congenial waste in which byron and shelley rode together here the keen pedestrian may indeed stretch his legs splendid air and splendid views of the lagoon and distant venice and the still more distant mountains on the one side and the purple adriatic on the other lure him on past malamocco till at the fort of alberoni he is brought to a halt where the opening of porto di malamocco interrupts the continuity of the natural breakwater nearly half way to chioggia chioggia itself he must approach by steamer and a fine day's trip it is bright with the gorgeous colouring of the sails of the fishing boats which in high noon strive to equal in brilliance the sunset-tinted vapours in which venice will be seen swathed on the return journey the call at malamocco and pelestrina which the boat makes on the way gives the visitor a glimpse and a foretaste of the characteristic picturesqueness of the ancient fishing-port of chioggia so memorable in history yet above all acceptable to the jaded sightseer to-day because he is on holiday and means to give himself for a few hours at least to lazy contemplation of outside things form and colour and human nature as one traverses the wide spaces of the lagoon the eye is not so incessantly distracted towards swiftly passing objects of interest it has leisure at last to rest upon the delightful and indeed unique means of transport which will always be inseparably associated with the lagoon in the visitor's memory the gondola is apt to be taken for granted after the initial pleasure and surprise of introduction but it merits study in the first place it is an essentially venetian boat the child of the lagoon gradually evolved in the course of ages by successive stages 
many of which can still be traced. It is the lineal descendant of the light skiff which Cassiodorus, the secretary of Theodoric, saw tied to the doors of the rude Venetian dwellings of the early 6th century. These skiffs probably resemble most nearly the little boat now called Barchetta, and Mr. Horatio Brown, in the volume already referred to, has traced the gradual evolution of the perfect gondola of today from this rudimentary Barchetta form. Visitors to the Accademia will observe in the Venetian scenes by Bellini and Carpaccio a middle stage in this development depicted. The early 16th century gondola resembles the modern one in many points, but it lacks the ferro, the picturesque polished iron beak, which gives it much of its swan-like quality. The felze, the little wooden house in which the gondola passengers are enclosed when protection from the outer elements or from human gaze is desired, is itself the outcome of a long process of evolution. At one time it was made a subject of excessive display, and many sumptuary laws were passed to restrain the extravagances of wealthy citizens. The government found it very difficult to enforce the regulation that every felze was to be covered only with coarse black cloth, but they persevered, only relaxing the law in favour of foreign ambassadors, with the funereal results that is visible in the felze of today. By the middle of the eighteenth century, the gondola of contemporary pictures was like the present one, long for speed, with one ferro, hatchet-shaped, and a black felze with door and windows. Besides its metals, iron, steel, and brass, sometimes as many as five different kinds of wood enter into the composition of the gondola walnut cherry elm pine and oak not counting the beech wood of the oars and every piece is most carefully selected it must be well seasoned and without knots when the boat is finished it is a joy to look upon as well as a luxury to sit in but its graceful lines are not without a certain subtle want of symmetry nor is this unsymmetrical build the product of happy-go-lucky methods such as seem to belong to certain types of italian work on the contrary it is carefully and deliberately planned the boat is without helm it is to be guided and propelled by a single oar and that in face of wind and tide it must be ready to respond to the slightest motion of its oarsman to advance in a straight line to negotiate any angle to spin round, if required, on its own axis. It is built with a perceptible list to one side, to balance the weight of him who stands on its poop, and to counteract the bias of his one oar's impetus, it is built with one side longer and more curved than the other. The result is the swan of the lagoon, the most graceful and the most comfortable carriage that can be conceived. End of chapter 5